hear from brothers and sisters and what the Lord has done for them. If you would, turn to Acts chapter 22. We're going to be looking at 1 through 22 this morning as we close our sermon series that we've been looking at the past several weeks on testimonies. And I pray, I pray that over the last several weeks as we have heard from testimonies from Scripture and we have heard testimonies from our brothers and sisters in Christ that you have been blessed, that you've been encouraged, that you've been challenged to remember your own testimony and the things that God has done in your life, that you've been convicted that you too need to share what He's done in your life. I'm so thankful to all of the folks that have shared with us over the last several weeks. Uh, If you have come to me and uh, let me know that you would be willing to share as well, don't think that I've ignored you or put you off. My plan is to continue to do these on a semi-regular basis, at least moving forward, that we would continue to hear from brothers and sisters in Christ during our services. I think that's an important thing for us to do. I think it's a valuable thing for us to do. And I also want to say this, um, not only to hear from from folks in maybe a traditional sense of testifying, but I know that there are some of you as well that would sit there and say, getting in front of everyone and speaking terrifies me, or even doing a video. But you have a gift and a talent that maybe others don't, that there is a song, there's a hymn, a worship song that you would say, that's my testimony. That's my testimony to music. Um, and so we want to, we are going to move forward uh, with some things with that as well. And so if that would be something that you would say, I, I don't feel like I can stand up, but I feel like I could get up and I could sing or I could play an instrument and, and have the words behind me and share a, a song of worship that depicts my testimony, then we would like you to be able to do that during our services as well. So just come talk to me about that. But we're going to continue. We're going to continue to be a church and, and during our worship time to take time to hear what God has done in the lives of our people. And so hope that you'll take advantage of that as we move forward. As we come to Paul in Acts 22, Paul uh, is, has been arrested in Jerusalem and he has been brought before an assembly. He has been accused of bringing a Gentile, a non-Jewish person into the temple and he, as he is before the assembly, he speaks with those in charge and just simply asks, may I give a defense? May I give a defense for myself? And so he's allowed to do so. And what we see in chapter 22, in the first 21 verses, is his defense to the assembly for who he is and why he is the way he is. And so if you would this morning, please stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word. Acts chapter 22, starting in verse 1 and going, we're going to read through verse 22. Paul starts this way. Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus, in Sicilia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. 
I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those bonds, those in bonds, who also were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Rise, go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one, Ananias, a devout man according to the law, spoke well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me. And standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Up to this word, they had listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And we're going to stop there. If you would pray with me. Father, we come before you. And Lord, we thank you. Lord, we thank you that you have shown us grace. Grace that we do not deserve. Grace that does not make sense outside of who you are. Forgiveness that goes beyond anything that we've ever done. That continually says to us, you're forgiven. Even when we repeat our mistakes. For patience that goes beyond understanding. For love that is not earned. Lord, we thank you. We pray this morning as we hear these testimonies that we've already heard and as we hear the testimony of Paul, Lord, that you would continue to bless, that you would continue to to challenge and to convict. Lord, that we would respond to you. We pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Paul 
stands before the assembly and proclaims that his defense is Jesus. Paul, why are you the way you are, Jesus? Paul, why have you, why have you come this morning? Why are you standing before the assembly, Jesus? Why have you gone to Turkey and to Greece and to Rome to proclaim the gospel, Jesus? Why have you been beaten and left for dead and persecuted and mocked, Jesus? That is his defense. That is his testimony to the assembly. And my prayer is, is that we would have the same testimony that we as believers, when people ask the question, why do you live that way? Why do you place this as a priority instead of this? Why do you work at your job this way? Why do you speak this way? Why do you have a joy like this? Why do you bear through, how do you bear through the difficulties of life? How do you face death differently than the rest of the world that we would give the defense Jesus, one name. Now Paul, obviously, in proclaiming this name as his defense, gives us some details. And really, as we think about a testimony, and really even the testimonies that we've already heard this morning, we understand that there is a beginning, that there is a middle, a crux of the story, and that there is the after. And Paul certainly gives us those pieces in his testimony. He begins by sharing his life before Christ. In the verses in 22, when you look at verses 3 through 5, he begins to lay out, this is the way my life was before I encountered Christ. And he gives us this kind of interesting template. He begins by making a connection. Remember where he's at. He is in Jerusalem, somewhere in the temple grounds, and he is before the people. He's before this assembly. And these are he is speaking to his fellow brothers. He is speaking to a Jewish audience. And so he begins immediately to make a connection with them. He tells them, I'm a Jew. I wasn't born here, but I was born to Jewish parents, and I was raised here. I was your neighbor. I grew up in Jerusalem. Now, I don't know about you in Vandalia. Actually, I know very much about you in Vandalia. But when I was growing up in Hannibal and New London, it depended on where I was and who I was speaking to, what, where I told them I was from. If I was in New London... There was no way on heaven and earth that I was going to introduce myself as going to Hannibal Public Schools. I was a New London boy in New London. My address was New London. My parents were from New London. I was a New London boy because I knew that if I identified better with Hannibal, that I would never be accepted in New London and that I would get nowhere with those folks. Now, if I was in Hannibal, that was a different story. In Hannibal, I was a graduate of Hannibal High School. Go Pirates. We didn't do so well against West Plains last week, but go Pirates. And I identified that way. 
because that's what would make the connection with folks. There are things that you grow up there, and just as there are things that if you grow up in Vandalia, you identify with that others may not. Paul says, I grew up here. This is my home. I was your neighbor. I was that little kid that ran around the streets that was so honoring. I grew up here. You know me. You know my teacher. He says, I sat under the teaching of Gamaliel. It would be like saying, I sat under the teaching of Billy Graham. Like, that was my mentor. Like, when he lays that name down, it's not accidental. He's wanting them to know. He, he sat under the teaching of the man. The one that we all respect. And he's constantly making these connections with them and saying, I'm one of you. And then he tells them, I was good. I was, I was religious. I was one of, one of the Pharisees. I, I was one of the ones that everyone respected. People looked at me and thought of me as being religious. Paul, this is not the only place that Paul shares his testimony. In Philippians 3, he gives maybe even a little bit more detail to this part of his life. In Philippians 3, in verse 4, he says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul says, you want to know about my life before Jesus? I was one of you, and I may have been the best of you. He says, I was religious. I was blameless. No one could bring accusation against me. I was the Hebrew of Hebrews. By all outward appearances, by everything the world would say, my life was good. And I was passionate. I was passionate, he says. So passionate that I was pursuing God in my passion just like you are today. I love that he says that. He says, I was passionate about the Lord just the way you all are today. So many times nowadays when you hear especially political folks speaking in speeches, there's always like that little dig at their opponent. There's always that little dig at their accuser, right? Sometimes it's subtle, sometimes it's not so subtle. Paul does the exact opposite. He's trying to turn the temperature down. He's trying to to gain their ear. And so he says, hey, I know that the reason that we're here today is because you are passionate about God. I am too. He says, I'm driven by passion. I'm driven by something to pursue an end. To the point that I oppose the gospel. To the point that he says that he pursued those of the way. The way being the common uh, vernacular for the Christian faith. Especially the first hundred years or so of of the the church. The way coming out of Jesus' proclamation that he is the way. That there's no other way to the Father except through him. But he says, I opposed the gospel. I pursued those that would claim Christ as the Messiah. I put them in chains. I arrested them. I dragged them from their homes. I put them before the council. Some of them were persecuted by beating. Others of them suffered all the way to death. 
He said, this is the point. This is how zealous I was. This is how anxious I was to prove myself. That I would even chase others down so that they may, that I may persecute them so that others may know how serious I was about my faith. He said, and I love that he calls on witnesses. He says, you don't believe me? Go ask the high priest. <laughs> Go ask the council. Go ask the Sanhedrin. Go ask the elders. They're the ones that gave me the arrest warrants. They'll tell you what kind of person I was beforehand. They'll tell you about how religious I was. They'll tell you about how passionate I was. They'll tell you about the things that I did in the name of God. This was my life. As we share our testimonies, and you've already heard it this morning, as we share our testimonies, we need to connect with people where they're at, and we need to share with them, this was life before God intervened. Whether, it was share, if, whether you're sharing about your salvation, or whether you're sharing about how God provided, or how God healed, you need to help them to understand, this is where I was beforehand. Some of you, some of you may say, well, there's not much beforehand. You would have a testimony similar to myself and, and others that you would say you were saved young. But there's still a great and glorious beforehand. <laughs> he adopted you young. He adopted you as a child. But you were still human before that. You were still a sinner before that. And just because he adopted you at a time in your life that may have prevented you from going through other things doesn't make it any less of a miracle. I love what one commentator, he says, he explains it like this. He says, there are a couple of different types of cancer survivor stories. One of them goes like this. They found cancer when it was late in the, the major stages and my life was on the line, but God did a miracle and he healed me. The other cancer survivor story is that they found it when it was just started and they went in and they cleaned it all out and God spared me from all of the pain and all of the chemo and all of that. And he did a miracle by putting me in that doctor's office that morning. Two stories, same miracle. Two stories, same miracle. Saved by grace. Whether you experience life, as we would sometimes like to say, and have this what we would consider from human eyes, this big testimony of I did all this stuff and then God turned me 180, or whether God stopped it before it ever began. It's a story of grace and it is a miracle and it is magnificent. But we need to help people to understand that at one time I was lost, that I was not following Him. And no matter where you are in that age spectrum, that I was headed for the consequences of those mistakes. Paul says, this was me before Christ. But he continues on. In verse 6, he begins to help us to see what happened. How did he go from being someone that opposed the gospel? How did he go from being a hero in Jewish circles to now being on trial? How did, what happened here? He says, I met Christ. He says, there was a calling as I was on my way and near to Damascus about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me, and I fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? 
Paul shares that in his testimony, in his interaction with Christ, that as he was walking through life, continuing to do that which he was passionate about, God stood before him and said, what are you doing? Why are you persecuting me? What are you doing? This is not the direction that you should be headed. Jesus calls to him. He goes on, he says, Who are you, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And Paul's response is, What shall I do, Lord? He is is face to face with this deity that he has been persecuting, that he has been killing the followers of. And now Paul says, "What, What am I to do? He recognizes that he has done the wrong thing. Now what is he to do now? In many ways, he's throwing himself upon the grace of Jesus. Can you imagine for a moment Paul's standing? Paul had denied Jesus was the Messiah. He had denied that he was the Christ. He thought he was a heretic. He thought everyone that followed him was crazy. And so he had been, he had seen them as such a danger that he had been putting them to death. And now he stands, or probably more accurately, is on his face before Jesus Christ, the Son of God, in all of His glory, what would you think? (laughs) Would you not be afraid to to realize I have been wrong my whole life? I have been wrong. And now, what do I deserve if I have been putting others to death for following what was right, what God desired, when to realize that all of my passion and all of my zeal was directed in exactly the wrong way. There must have been at least a little bit of Paul that thought, I deserve death. I've been opposed to God. What shall I do now, Lord? And Jesus' response is grace. Jesus' response is grace. He says, go into the city, go into Damascus, and there you'll be told all that has been set before you to do. His response is grace. Jesus' response is not to say, because of your crimes against me, here is your punishment. His response is to say, because you have met me, I'm going to use you. Praise God. He has done the same for you and me. He has done the same thing for you and me. That at some point, if we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, that there is somewhere, and sometimes it happens in a moment like it happened for Paul, and sometimes it happens over a period of time. But there there is a point in there where Jesus has stood before you and you have recognized that you were headed the wrong direction, that running your own life was not working the way that it should, that all your passions and all your zeal and all your goodness would not fulfill you. And you were headed the wrong direction. And Jesus stood before you and said, what are you doing? Follow me. And you experienced his grace and his forgiveness. He did not give you what you deserve. Instead, He gives you an opportunity to be His. Paul says there was a calling 
Christ stood before me. For you, that calling may not have been a visual, rep, visual Christ that you see and hear. It may have been a pastor. It may have been a Sunday school teacher. It may have been a parent. It may have been someone on TV. It may have been a song on the radio. It may have been a still small voice. Could have been a whole number of things, but at some point there was a calling on your life. Paul shares his calling, and then he shares a miracle. He says, rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told about all that is appointed for you. And since I could not see, because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came to Damascus. Now, when I say that he experiences a miracle, some of you who have grown up in church and know the story of Paul and know the story of Acts are probably like, yeah, he got his sight back. Friends, that is a miracle, but that is not the miracle that happens here. The miracle that happens here is that a man that once opposed God, a man that once opposed Christ to the point of putting to death those that followed him, follows Christ himself. He has made a new man. This is why you'll hear Christians from time to time use a phrase that we were born again. Because when Christ does, when Christ meets you and when he calls you and when we step into that, then Christ makes us new beings. No longer are we the old person, but now we are a new person having new desires and new passions, new gifts, new abilities, new purpose. All of those things happen with Paul. It is a miracle. He is a new person. He tells us that like that moment changed everything. This meeting, this encounter with Christ, he goes from being a man who did life on his own to being a man who did life through Christ. There's another interesting part to this. He mentions not only the miracle, but he mentions a man. He says there, and one... Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who live there, came to me. You see, Paul being a new believer is a baby. Now, he had had all the religious training that you could ever imagine. He had had all the religious training that you could ever ask for. You want to talk about someone that sat in church week after week, that was Paul. But in this moment, he is a new creation. He is a baby. He doesn't know what to do. He thought he knew what to do. He had, been follow, he had been following this path, but now he realizes that's wrong, so now where do I go? And God places a man in his life who says, here's what you need to do. You have been blessed to see and to hear Jesus. You have believed his words. Now be baptized, because you've got work to do. <laughs> he says, be baptized. You have seen, you have heard, you have believed. There is a purpose for you, so now be baptized. Anais leads him in the first step of obedience. As, as, as Baptists, as Christians, we believe that baptism does not save you. It's merely the first step of obedience that baptism identifies you with Christ as you lay your life down before him, as you say, I need you. And it also testifies to those that are watching 
that you are no longer your own, but now that you are His. It is your initial testimony of the work that God has done inside of you. And so, this brother comes alongside Paul and says, you need to be baptized, you need to mark what God has done in your life so that others may know, so that others may see that you are a new man. When you give your testimony, I think it's good for you to remember the people that God has put in your life. And again, you heard that this morning. It's good for you to remember the people that God has put in your life as a blessing that you may grow in your faith, that you may know the direction you go. And I think it's good for you to remember that because God wants to use you the same way. Who is it who is it that is in your life that spiritually they are younger than you that you need to be pouring into? Who is your Paul who has just seen Christ for the first time, has just newly believed, and they need some guidance. They just need someone that's done this a little while to say, here's what we do. Here's why we do it. To just pour into their lives for a little bit. To understand that we have a part to play in all of this by the grace of God. Paul says, this is who I was before. Paul says, this is my encounter with the Savior. And then he goes on to say, this is what life is like with Christ. This is what life is like with Christ. He says, there was a change. There's been a change. No longer is he persecuting. No longer is he out to get folks that are Christians and drag them away in chains, but now he is one of them. He says in verse 17, when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, now no longer does he persecute Christ, now he worships to Christ. It's a complete 180. He says, my life has been made different and I've been put on mission. It's interesting what Jesus says to him. He goes back to Jerusalem. He's praying there. And Jesus says, you need to get out of Jerusalem as quickly as possible. You need to go. And Paul begins to question. He says, why go? Like, this is, people know the change that's happening on me. He says, well, for one thing, you're not safe here. But two, I am sending you far away to the Gentiles, to non-Jewish folks. Paul says, he changed my mission. I thought my mission was to these folks, to these people in Jerusalem. I thought I was going to be right here. But he says, God had a different plan for me. He sent me to those that I would have never thought of, to non-Jewish folks. And we see in the book of Acts, he sends him to modern-day Turkey and to Greece and to Rome. And later he would go to Spain so that he would declare what God had done in his life and so that others may believe. And God, of course, used him in a miraculous and amazing way. In the same way, brother or sister, God did not save you so that you could simply keep that to yourself. He saved you and he has sent you on mission. Now, he may not be sending you on mission to faraway places. He may not be sending you on mission to a strange land. He may be sending you on mission just next door. He may be sending you on mission to that neighbor or that family member or that coworker. 
But I can promise you this, that if he, has, if he has entered into your life and he has changed you, he means you to testify. He means for you to tell about others, about what God has done for you, to tell others what God has done for you. You know, it's so interesting. We are surrounded by testimonies. Since I've been preaching this sermon series, it feels like every time I turn around, I'm noticing testimonies more and more. Whether it's when I watch TV, see this, the lady on TV telling me that if I will just use this skincare product, I will look 20 years younger. Or whether it's the guy, the gentleman that tells me if I will just take this pill that magically all my hair will return. Or I read the restaurant review that says, don't go here because the service is horrible. Or go here because the food is amazing. And I, I, I'm, I've become so much more aware of all of these testimonies that are around us every day. And I keep thinking to myself, wait a minute. <laughs> if they can tell me how good the food is here, why are we not telling people about how great Christ is here? If he can tell me that that pill will put hair on my head again, why can I not tell someone that Jesus can give life? If she can tell me that that cream will give me 20 years back on my skin, why can I not tell somebody that he can give me eternity? There are testimonies all around us. We should have a voice in that. We should have a voice in that. Now, Paul tells us one other thing. He tells us, and the Scripture tells us, that this is not always easy. That there are difficulties. Notice the response here in 22. Up until this word they had listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, he should not be allowed to live. Why did they want to kill him? Because he proclaimed the name of Jesus. You give your testimony, and I will tell you now, there will be some that hear it and accept it, but you share your testimony enough, and there will be some that don't. There will be some that are opposed to it. Ask our brothers and sisters who live in other countries. You share your testimony enough, and there may even be repercussions, like what Paul was facing. We need to help people to understand that when you follow Christ and when you share your testimony, I think it's important for us to help people to understand the Christian life is not easy, but it's worth it. It's not easy. It's not rainbows and unicorns all the time. Yes, there is blessing. Yes, there are gifts. Yes, there are countless things that we are thankful for. But we still grieve. We still hurt. We still experience difficulties. We are opposed by a world that would say that up is down and down is up. That right is wrong and wrong is right. There are hard things. But it is good. Paul says, I thought I knew life. 
I thought in the beginning that I knew what life was all about. I was passionate. I was good. In the wise of the world, I could not have been more religious. I was everything that all of you want to be. But I was missing something. I was headed the wrong direction until Christ met me. Maybe you're standing here, sitting here this morning and listening to this, and you would say, like Paul, I'm okay. I'm okay. Life is okay. I've been doing it on my own, and I'm fine. Paul says, let me tell you, let me tell you something. Going back to Philippians, just for a moment, if you would allow. Just for a moment. He says there, I read to you earlier about how he's a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to a law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. He says this in verse 7, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. For His sake, I suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. And the word trash does not begin to translate that. I counted them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Paul says, I thought I knew life. I thought I was good. Let me tell you, when you know Jesus, none of that matters. There's something so much better out of the, better than this. It's like the, when you ask a little child, where, where is your favorite place to eat? And their response is McDonald's. And you're like, oh, heaven. Like, you don't know food yet, child. <laughs> you don't know what's good yet. You don't know what's, what's awesome. And every time I ask Rosemary, where do you want to go eat? There's a little part of me that says, please don't put McDonald's on my plate. Because I want her to know there's something so much better out there. Oh, friend, if you sit here this morning and you say, life is good, I don't need Christ, let me tell you, you're like a kid who likes McDonald's. Jesus is better. He's better. That's Paul. That's what Paul's trying to convey to us this morning. I thought I knew life. I thought I was passionate about the right things. I thought I was headed the right direction. I thought I could do it on my own. And then I met him, and all of that changed. He is better. Even in the difficulty, he is better. This morning, if you're sitting here this morning, Maybe the word hits you right here, right now, and you would say, I have not known him. I have not known him, but I know that I need something different. This morning, you would accept him. You would say, I want to know him. I want to follow him. This morning, you can do that. It's not hard. We, we simply have a conversation with him. Father, forgive me for doing this myself. Forgive me for the mistakes I've made. I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you died on the cross. I believe that you were buried and you rose again on the third day. I believe you're coming back. I want to follow you. If you will have that conversation with him, if you will make that commitment to follow him, I promise you, you will know life and know it abundantly. Believer, if you're sitting here this morning, you've tasted something better. You've tasted something better. This morning, will you make a commitment to leave a review? 
Will you make a commitment to share the testimony that he is better? This morning, I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up, and we're going to have a time of response. I know this for sure. The Lord does not share his word so that we would walk away from it. As James says, like people who look in the mirror and then forget what they look like as soon as they walk away. Christ shares his word that we may respond to it. So this morning, if he has confronted you and said, come, why are you going this direction? Come follow me. This morning, I pray that you would do that this morning. Come and, come and grab me. Say, hey, I want to follow him this morning. I know it's hard to walk that aisle. I, I understand that. I've been there, done that. Come grab me. I want to tell you about what's next. Maybe this morning you're a believer and you need to come to the altar just to make a commitment yourself. I want to, I want to make the commitment that I'm going to share Sometimes, you know, there's nothing special about this front. But there's something about getting out of our seat and coming to the front. There's that action of commitment. We can make that commitment in our seats. I'm not saying that there's any, like I said, I'm not saying that there's anything special. You can make that commitment right where you sit. But there is something different about coming to the front and testifying to those that are watching and testifying to the Lord. I'm making a commitment to do something different. This morning, if, that, if God is pushing that on your heart, then I would pray, come. Don't disobey that. Come. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you this morning. We thank you for the testimonies that have been given. Lord, all three and, and really many more testimonies that we have heard this morning of your grace and of your goodness, Lord, we thank you for those. And I pray this morning that you would use them in amazing and powerful ways. I pray that you would encourage and convict and challenge us. Father, I pray for the one here that does not know you, that you would give them courage in this moment to proclaim their need for you, to seek you, and to make that known. Father, I pray for the, my brothers and sisters in Christ who sit before me this morning who I love, who I so enjoy serving with, Lord, that this morning that you would help us to have the courage to speak of your goodness because you know that you have put people in our lives that need to hear it, that need to see it. Father, I pray, help us to respond to you this morning. We ask this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.